First John chapter 4 and starting in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is also, we are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For love, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he cannot he has seen cannot love God who he has not seen and this commandment we have from him whoever loves God must also love his brother this is the word of the Lord good morning how are you all it's nearly Christmas excited um, this Sunday always feels like the last day of school or something you know so I'm glad you turned up um, um, if you haven't yet, uh, open your Bibles to 1 John 4. Um, we're going to spend pretty much our whole time there. Um, this is the last Sunday of Advent. Um, if you have been around, we've been lighting these candles uh, and looking at these four different themes that are tradition- traditionally associated with, with Advent. So we looked at hope, we looked at peace. Last week we looked at, at joy, and we're looking at love this week. So um, what we're doing really is, is looking in the Bible and seeing what God has to say about these things, because they're really important. They're, they're all words you've, you've heard a lot. Uh, the, the world has a lot to say about how to define these things, has a lot to say about how you actually experience these things. Um, but we come together to open our Bibles to, uh, to see what God has to say about these things. So um, before we get into chapter 4, I want you to look at chapter 1, the first uh, four verses of First John. Uh, last week we looked at, at joy, and we, we tried to understand that joy, understanding joy is really important because it's, why you, it's what you were created for. It's your purpose in life is to uh, this God of love that's always existed in perfect love and perfect um, uh, joy and, and perfect satisfaction within himself has created you to experience that, to experience him 
the, his glory, his majesty, and to be satisfied in that, to find our joy in him. And when we do that, we actually give him glory. Um, and when you, start to, when you start to unpack what these words mean, you, then you read the Bible throughout like your normal kind of Bible reading, and you're going to start to see it everywhere, um, how God is hope and peace and joy. Um, so look at uh, just the first few verses of this before we kind of jump into to love. So, uh, John starts his letter, he says, uh, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands. He's, he's, he's talking about God here. He's talking about, about Christ coming into the world. And he says, this which was from the very beginning, and we've, we know it. John, John, we're going to talk about how John was, was one of Jesus' best friends. Um, he says, that which we have heard with our ears, we've seen with our eyes, we've looked upon and we've touched with our hands concerning uh, the word of life. Verse 2, he says, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. This word became flesh, came into the world. Um, verse 3 says, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. Um, and indeed, our fellowship is where? Is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. He's talking about this, what you were created for, this creation mandate to, to be in relationship with him. And then verse four says, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Me and you, our joy is in this, that we're gonna experience him, we're gonna know him, we're gonna savor him. So I just found that interesting. They were like, okay, here it is again, First John, uh, kind of everywhere you look. Um, but today we're gonna look at, at uh, uh, love. Um, so turn over to chapter four. I love, um, I think John, the author of this book, is probably one of my favorite uh, kind of New Testament characters, one of my favorite New Testament writers. I think his, his gospel uh, is probably my, my favorite uh, of the gospels. Um, John was, uh, just a little bit about him, he was uh, the youngest of the 12 disciples, um, and, but he was also one of Jesus' closest friends. So Jesus had his 12 disciples, but then he had Peter, James, and John, who were like, we call the, this inner circle. And when John talks about himself uh, in his gospel, he, how does he describe himself? He says, the beloved disciple, the, the disciple that Jesus loved. And I love that. He, he's one of Jesus' closest friends. John knew, he knew Jesus. He, he knew like what color his eyes were. He knew what his breath smelled like in the morning. Um, he knew like what Jesus' walk was like. Um, one of his closest friends. Um, and, and in this letter, um, we have this picture of, of John as an old man now. He's towards the end of his life. Um, he's the only disciple to die of old age. So the rest of the 12 all were met with cruel, violent deaths. Um, crucifixions, stabbings, beheadings, stonings. Um, all these deaths were because of their their love, their faith in Jesus, and their, their mission that he sent them out on. Um, it's not easy being a disciple of Jesus, is it? Um, but, but John, the, the disciple that Jesus loved, he grows to be an elderly man, um, uh, probably leading the church in Ephesus towards the end of his life. A lot of people maybe say that he looked after Jesus' mother, Mary, towards the end of her life, which I think is really cool. So he heard Jesus say, like, Take after, look after my mother, one of the last things he said, and he got to do that, possibly. Um, we have this picture of elderly John, and you see his, he has this deep passion for Jesus still, this deep love for Jesus. Um, and he also has a deep love for, for Jesus' church. Um, so John, he, he walked with Jesus. 
He was taught by Jesus for three years. Um, Jesus was crucified. He, he met with Jesus after he rose from the dead. Jesus made him breakfast. Um, this like resurrected Jesus is an amazing picture. Uh, he, he watched Jesus ascend to heaven. Picture all these things. Um, later in his life, he received the revelation of Jesus and he wrote the book of Revelation. There's God allowing him to, to peek into to these, the, the, how everything ends. He got to, he got to see uh, this new heaven and new earth. He got to peek in on the marriage supper of the Lamb. Isn't that amazing? Maybe he spotted you there at the table. Um, this, this moment when um, the, the bride of Christ, the church whom he loves, uh, finally uh, prepares herself for, for the bridegroom. Um, at the end of Revelation, he, he hears Jesus testify to all these things. And what does Jesus say? He says, surely I'm, I'm coming again soon. And what does John say? He says, come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Um, we, I said last week that what we do during Advent is we, we look forward by looking back. We, we, we enter into that anticipation, this waiting that, that the people of the Old Testament have. They're waiting for, for the Messiah to come, promised to them this new king is coming, uh, this everlasting king is going to usher in all these blessings, all these promises. Um, so we enter into their waiting, all the while uh, waiting for him to come again. So we said for Christians, we're kind of, we always live in, in Advent, always live in like anticipation, waiting for him to come. And John, that's, that describes John. He, his, his heart is, come Lord Jesus, come again quickly. Um, we have this, John, this old man, he has anticipation that Jesus is coming again, come again. Um, and he, he also has this concern that the church will remain faithful until that time. The, the, the church will remain true to Jesus until the day he comes again. John, John loves the church. Um, you you, you kind of get that all through his letter. And he has concerns that, that she would be faithful and true to Jesus until the very end. Um, you see, John, John knows that Jesus is alive. His concern in this letter is what does it look like for the church to be alive? For the church to remain true, to, to prepare herself ready, ready for the bridegroom. Um, uh, if, you re- if you read through all throughout this letter, especially in, in chapter 3, um, you see that John's concerned that, that we, the church, uh, would know our identity, and our, our identity is, is children of God, and he, he talks about the implications that that has in our life. So if we are children of God, uh, he says that we are now to love one another, um, and John says that, that by loving one another, what we actually do is, by loving one another, we're upholding the truth. So in chapter 3, verse 19, uh, he says, uh, by this we shall know that we are of the truth. And he goes on in verse 23, he says, and this is his commandment. Should, this should sound familiar. He says that we believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. So a lot of what, what John's writing, it's all going to sound familiar. It's all going to sound like what Jesus says. He's just repeating what Jesus says. He's, he's, he's recalling what he wrote in the Gospels. Um, he says, what did, what did, how did Jesus answer that question? What's the greatest commandment? He says, love the Lord your God with, with everything you have and love your neighbor. And John repeats that again. He says, he says believe in Jesus, okay, and love one another. He says, uphold the truth. What's the truth? That, that Jesus is Lord, that he, he is risen, that he has ascended to heaven, that he's coming again. And he says the main way we uphold that truth is by loving one another. He says love upholds the truth. 
um, which is really John's main thing. John, uh, uh, a lot of people say that this is the thing that John was an expert in. Um, Paul is the apostle of faith. Peter uh, is the apostle of hope. James is the apostle of good works, but John is the apostle of love. Um, by reading this letter, you can, uh, you can almost tell that he's this like grandfather character, um, that he, he comes into the room and he's repetitive. It, a lot of his talk is circular. He kind of says the same stories over and over again. Um, he's the grandfather story who tells the same story, and you're like, I've heard this before. I've heard you say this before, but you still listen because this is Jesus' best friend. Like he, he, he knows what he's talking about. He has such experience and wisdom. So you listen to the same things over and again. You, 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 uh, you hear what he has to say even when he repeats himself. Um, because what he has to say is so important. He's concerned that we would uphold the truth, uphold love, um, in particular that we should love one another. Um, and in chapter 4, verse 7, he circles back to this again. This is where we are today. Um, so several times through the Bible, you see uh, that God gives his thoughts on love. So we believe that the Bible is, is God-breathed, that these are God's thoughts, his words for us. Um, you have a few famous passages that talk about love. Usually you hear them at weddings. So you have uh, Song of Songs, chapter 8, verse 5 to 14. Um, it gets a little bit saucy in there, but so I wouldn't recommend you read it alone, maybe. Um, 1 John 13. Read that one. That's more kind of uh, wedding appropriate. Uh, and then here in, in 1 John 4, 7 to 21, John, John gives us his thoughts on, on love. What is love? Why do we love? Um, in chapter 4, John takes us, in order to do that, he takes us directly to the origin, directly to the source of love, which is God himself. Um, can we pray before we move on? While I'm praying, can, um, uh, can you pray for me also, um, just that the Lord would speak through me? Uh, Father, we love you. We thank you for uh, just the privilege that it is to, to be called your children, um, to be called heirs uh, to your throne with Christ. Uh, we thank you for the privilege of being able to gather together um, as your family, as, as your body, And may we know that you are present uh, here with us, God, that your presence is, is, is like special manifest when, when we come together as a family. Um, Spirit, we ask that you would uh, do things that only you can do right now, that you would speak to us, uh, that you would put truths into our lives um, in ways that only you can do. Um, Lord, you know my heart. Um, what I want or, or what I mostly want is uh, for you to increase, Lord, and may I decrease now. Um, Spirit, we ask that you would empower uh, us, empower me to, to, to um, illuminate your, your scriptures, God. We thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you for the, um, the freedom we find uh, in it. And we ask that you would uh, just reveal yourself to us now, God. I pray these things in your name, Jesus. Um, the New Testament actually has quite a, a rich vocabulary when, when talking about love, because we don't, do we? Like, I, I really love, uh, like, pizza, but I also really love my wife. Um, I love uh, going out to eat at a certain restaurant, but I also love my kids. Uh, it's hard to, like, it, we, we tend to just kind of generalize this word love. Um, 
uh, you can imagine if we did a survey just out on the streets of asking the people of Belfast, what is love? Uh, describe what love is. Um, you can imagine the various kind of responses that you'd get. Uh, you probably, a majority of people would probably describe something quite sentimental, quite emotional, and very well make some allusion towards sex. Um, just look at how we're taught about what love is. Um, read any book, watch any film, watch any advert. All of those things are generally about love. Um, and pretty much all of those things, uh, when they use love, it's generally emotional, sentimental, sentimental uh, and sexual, which is part of what love is, okay? There, there's, a, there's a New Testament word for that kind of physical, intimate, sexual union between a man and, and a woman. Uh, this is the word eros. It's where we get the word erotic. Um, it's the New Testament employs this Greek word. And so Adam and Eve knew each other in this way. They had this union. Um, but this isn't the word that John uses here in chapter four. Um, there's a New Testament Greek word for the love that, that you'd recognize within a family, a family kind of love. Um, the love that parents have for their children, uh, that children have for their parents, that aunts and uncles have, that cousins. Um, we had Ezra's birthday party here uh, yesterday morning, and the room was filled with this kind of love, this family love. Um, a lot of you will go in a couple days, gather around a table with your family, and experience this, this family love, this Greek word storge. Uh, but it's not the word that John uses here either. Um, there's a, a word that's familiar to us if you've the city of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, this word philia, um, it's, it's, a, it's a brotherly love, this companionship, this friendship. Um, we, Luke and Sue had some of us over for, for dinner the other night. Um, we had cheese and, and wine and crackers, and Lucas made food that he didn't even get to eat, but he loved seeing us there because he has this love for us, this brotherly love um, uh, that, that we have for one another. It's different than the love that you have just for like an acquaintance and the sibling kind of love. Uh, but that's not the word that, that John uses either. Um, John uses a, a word that existed in, in Greek before the apostles uh, started to use it, um, but it, it sort of laid dormant. So what probably happened was um, the, the, the Holy Spirit had, had the apostles uh, use this word and, and pour into this word a whole new meaning that it probably didn't have before. It just kind of laid dormant, wasn't part of everybody's day-to-day vocabulary. And, but, so they took this word and, and they gave it a new meaning. Um, it gave it a, a whole kind of life of its own. And it's a word that's, that's used in a very specific way in the Bible. It's a very specific uh, kind of love in the New Testament to, uh, to describe the, the love of God for us in the gospel. It's this it's the, it's the love that, that gives his son to die in our place as our substitute. That's, that's the word that John is using here, this word agape. Um, this is the word that, that John, he keeps repeating to the Christians uh, around him. So he comes in the room and he, he goes around and he probably on his weekend and he says, love one another. My little children love one another. Brothers and sisters love one another, agape one another. He's so, so concerned that, that the church, that we would get this right, um, and what I want us to see this morning is there's three ways in, in this passage that, that John speaks of this love, this agape love. It's a very specific love that he's exhorting us as brothers and sisters to, to, to have because we have union in Christ, because we've been shown this love. Um, he says, love one another in this way. Um, I want us to see that he speaks of this love firstly trinitarianly, he speaks of this love experientially, and he speaks of this love motivationally. So firstly, look at uh, verses 7 to 12. He speaks of this love Trinitarianly. 
Um, in, this, in this section, John, he's alluding to the doctrine of the Trinity. So there's, there's one God, but there are three persons of this Trinitarian God. There's, there's Father, Son, and Spirit. And he's, he, he's looking and he's pointing at God, at each person of the Trinity, to show us what agape love is. Um, I, I love reading this section because you can almost imagine John uh, remembering back to that upper room that him and the disciples and Jesus were in. So I feel like every sermon we talk about John 14, 15, and 16. If you haven't read it, go read it. Um, it's this, this section where he's remembering back to that scene where Jesus is, is, is speaking to his disciples and he's preparing them for his leaving. And he's basically unfolding the doctrine of the Trinity for them. Um, this is the last thing that Jesus spoke of is the night before he was crucified, um, is what their relationship with him was going to look like after he ascends to heaven. So he, he spoke about God the Father. He speaks about God himself, the Son, and he speaks about God the Holy Spirit. And he's, he's telling them that there's, there's only one God, but there's more than one who is that God. So you've God, the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Spirit is God, but there's only one God. Um, and, and John tells us in a few times in this passage um, that, that God is love. He repeats himself, remember? Verse 8 and verse 16. Look at verse 8 and 9. He says, Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his Son into the world. So the, the God who is love uh, that, that he's speaking about in the first place is the God to whom Jesus is the Son. He's talking, he says, the Father. He's, he's speaking about the first person of the Trinity, the Father. He's saying that, that God is love and he sent his Son. He's saying the Father loves. Um, here's an important thing to understand when, when, when uh, speaking about the Father's love. Because um, we can often, what we can do is we can kind of misunderstand what what the gospel, what that gospel love does for us. We can misunderstand what, what Jesus actually came to do. So we understand that he came, he, he died on the cross for us, um, and, but we can maybe sometimes misunderstand what he accomplished on the cross. So when understanding the Father's love, um, understand that the Father, the Father loves his creation. Um, he, he loves the world. He loves the universe. He loves everything that he made in the universe. He loves the valleys, and he loves the, the gazelles that, that frolic through the valleys. He loves uh, the, the deep seas. My mom always points out that he even loves the little tiny things that we haven't discovered at the very bottom of the sea. He has a deep love for his creation because he created it, because he made it. He provides, and he cares for his creation. And the Father even, he, he even loves rebellious sinners to some degree because he feeds them. It's the same way. He, he has this, this common grace, this common love that falls on all. He clothes them. He, he provides and sustains their life. He sends the rain to, to water their fields. His love falls on the just and the unjust, but, but it's, that's not the, the love that John is speaking about here. He's speaking in particular of a love that God the Father has for his people, for his children, for those, it says, to whom he sends the Son to be a propitiation for our sins. And, and here's the, the mistake we often make. We often portray Jesus as, as coming to the earth and having to woo the Father into loving us. Um, he, so the Father is this kind of um, disgruntled, temperamental Father um, who is reluctant to love us, and Jesus has to convince him to love us. 
And, but that's not what John says here. It's not what we sang in that song, John 3.16. He says, uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his, his only son, that whoever believes in him should, have, uh, should not perish but have eternal life. So what is it that drives the son into the world? What is it that sends the son to earth? It's the love of the father. Uh, the father loves us. Uh, he loves the Son. He loves the Spirit. Remember last week we talked about this, this loving relationship they have? And that, that, that love exists within the, within the Trinity. And that love, it goes out and, it, and it's displayed on the likes of us who believe in Jesus. The Father loves us. It's not that they look down and they've really messed it up. Got to go send Jesus to, to fix it. Kind of. But the reason he's, he, he, comes to, he, he sends Jesus to, to fix it is because he loves us so much. John Stott says, um, uh, God doesn't love you because Jesus died for you. Jesus died for you because the Father loves you. It's the entire reason he was sent into the world in the first place. Because the love the Father has for us. This is a wonderful truth, isn't it? That you have a Father that loves you. And we all come from different stories. Some of us had fantastic dads. Some of us had dads that failed. Um, you, maybe you haven't met your dad. Um, but listen, for everyone this morning, all you Christians, you have a father that, that loves you. You have, a, you have an everlasting heavenly father that loves you with a love that's far greater than, than any earthly father has to offer. This is the love of my heavenly father that he sent his son. And then John goes on to speak of the second person of the Trinity and he explains this love in redemptive terms. Look at verse 10 and 11. It says, And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So he loved us, and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. What does that word mean? Okay, it's important to understand what that means. It means that, that Jesus, in coming to the earth and dying on the cross for us, and giving his life as a ransom for many, he propitiates, he, he, he appeases the wrath of God. What's the wrath of God? It's Christmas. What are you talking about a wrathful God? And the wrath of God is this, the, the, the reflex of the holiness of God towards sin. So remember, God is perfect. He's holy. He's blameless. There's, there's, there's no sin in God. So the, the wrath of God is, is the reflex of the holiness of that God towards sin. So it's, it's, this is how you actually can explain that scene on the cross and where Jesus cries out on the cross and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why did God forsake him on the cross? It's, it's because on the cross, our sin was being reckoned to him. And, and the reflex of the holiness of God was being poured out on the son. He was being cursed. Remember what Paul wrote? He said, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. He's talking about Jesus here. His death was an accursed death. Because the wrath of God was being poured out upon him as he took our place, as he bore our sin. What kind of love does the father have? Uh, the kind of love that not only sends his son, but sends his only son into the world to become, to become the sin bearer, to become our substitute for the sins of his people, to become the lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. 
That's the kind of love that the Father has for us. He's willing to lose his own son for our sake. Do you realize how massive that is? Um, growing up, I lost my best friend in a car accident. He was 18. Um, incredibly, incredibly, it's the most painful uh, experience I probably had in my life. Um, uh, it's the kind of pain that, that marks you, that changes you, um, changes how you experience the world. It changes how you probably react uh, to the world. Uh, it kind of defines you in some way. Um, immense, immense pain. Um, but... Um, now, about 18 years later, um, I have children of my own, um, and I, I know that my pain uh, was really nothing compared to the pain of his parents. So I have, a, I have a, my son, Abe. can't imagine losing him. Um, and my friend, Mark, his father, the pain he felt when his son died. Um, if, I was, if I was to introduce him to you, probably the first thing I'd say is he, he's, he's a father who lost a son. It's, it kind of defines him. It's, it's, it's changed him forever. He's someone who has lost a son. And that describes our Heavenly Father as well. He, he's someone who gave up his son on our behalf. That's the kind of agape love that John is speaking about here. Um, he speaks about the Father. He speaks about the Son. And then he goes on to speak about the Holy Spirit. Look at uh, verses 12 and 13. It says, uh, no one has ever seen God. Uh, if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. In verse 13, he explains what he means by God abiding in us. It says, by this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. Um, again, this should remind you of, of John uh, 14, 15, and 16. Uh, when Jesus says, abide in me and, and, and I in you, he says, we abide in God and God abides in us. Um, in, in John 14, 16, uh, Jesus is he's, he's telling them, he's like, I'm going to go away to the Father. Um, uh, I'm not going to be with you physically anymore, but I'm going to ask the Father, and he's going to give you uh, another helper, he says, another comforter, another advocate. The word's paraclete. Um, why, does he, why does he ask them to give another paraclete? Be- because we already have one, uh, because Jesus is already our, our advocate, He's already our comforter. He's already our counselor. John says this in, in chapter 2 of 1 John. Uh, he says, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So we, we have an advocate in Jesus. We have a helper. But Jesus says, I'm going to pray that the Father will give you another helper of the very same kind. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask the Father to give you the Spirit who will become to you a surrogate Christ, a, a personal representative, the agent of Jesus to, to be in you and to live in you. That's why the Holy Spirit is it's called the Spirit of Jesus or the Spirit of God's Son. Uh, he's called in Acts chapter 7. He, the Spirit takes the things of Christ and, and he makes them known to us when he abides with us. Isn't that amazing? Um, so John's talking about this love. It's agape love. Uh, he's not talking about a sexual love. He's not talking about a family love or a brotherly love. He's talking about agape love. New Testament love that, that describes what God has done for us in the gospel. And the way he does that is he takes us and he points directly at God and he says, look, God is love, Father, Son, Spirit. Defines what God is. We did a series a couple years ago looking at the, uh, some of the attributes of God. Um, 
So we looked at how God is immutable. He doesn't change. God is uh, transcendent. God is imminent. He's holy. Uh, God is sovereign. God is just. God's a lot of things, but he, he's also love. Um, and it's important to understand that it's not like an aspect of him. So it's not like an orange in one of those segments of God is, is love. It's, it's the whole of him, that, that every aspect of him is love. Um, and I think that's the first thing that John is trying to, to get across, that, that God is love and he takes us directly to him, Father, Son, and Spirit. And, and I know Trinity stuff's complicated. Trust me, it's complicated for the, the wisest scholar. Um, but, but John is, remember, he's speaking uh, to, to not just the theologians in the room. He's speaking to everyone. He says, my little children, young and old, I want you to, I want you to think about God. And, and this is uh, what I want you to understand, that God is one, but he is Father, Son, and Spirit. And all of those three persons of the Trinity love each other infinitely, and they demonstrate their love on us uh, because God the Father sends his Son into the world. And then, and then the Son sends the Spirit to come and indwell us and abide in us. But John, uh, he firstly speaks of this love trinitarianly. This is what love is. Uh, secondly, he, looks, uh, he speaks of this agape love experientially. Look at verse 17. It says, by this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence on the day of judgment. Because he is, so also are we in this world. Um, first thing I want you to understand that um, when John uses this word perfected, he's not talking about perfectionism. Um, he's not saying that when you become a Christian, that you become perfect, and that you, that you no longer sin. And when you become a Christian and the, and the Holy Spirit comes and, and dwells in you, that you're, you're elevated to a, a higher kind of level of, of perfectionism. Um, it's not what he's saying. Um, I'm, uh, I met a guy once when I was a teenager that tried to convince me of this. He said, when you're a Christian, you, you don't sin anymore. And he, uses, he used this, this passage. Um, uh, I asked him if he still sinned, and he said no. I was like, you liar. Like, you're sinning right now. Um, there's a story of Spurgeon who met a woman in a train station who made this claim uh, of perfectionism. Um, and what he did is he, he stood on her toe. And, and uh, the reaction that she had demonstrated that she indeed was not yet perfect. Um, I don't know if that story is true, but he, it's in his autobiography. Um, that, that perfectionism, it's not what John's talking about here. Um, Derek Tomic says, he says that you, it's easiest to understand it when you translate it this way. He says, when the love of God comes to us uh, by means of the death of his son on our behalf, by means of the Holy Spirit who indwells us, it has reached its goal. That's how he, he kind of describes it. it. It's done what it has set out to do. It's reached its goal. And it's, it's perfected in that way. And, and what does the love of God set out to do? Look again at verse 17. So that we may have confidence on the day of judgment. Because as he is, also are we in this world. That's amazing. Um, don't, don't let that wash over you for a minute. Uh, by this is love perfected. This is the goal of love so that we may have confidence on the day of judgment because as he is, also are we in this world. So what's the purpose of the gospel? Uh, the gospel puts us in a right relationship with God. That's the purpose of the gospel. That's what it does. 
And the gospel, the good news of Jesus, uh, uh, of the death of Jesus on our behalf, it, it takes away our sin, okay? And when we, we, we put our faith in Jesus as Lord, when we believe in him, when we turn from our sin and, and place our trust in him and take him as, as Lord and Savior in our life, uh, although uh, um, our sins, though they left a crimson stain, like the old song says, they're, they're washed white as snow. That, that they, they're canceled, that our debt has been paid, paid in full, we're told. All of that, um, what it does is so that on the day of judgment, those sins can never come back and haunt us. Isn't that the best news? And um, here's what it means to be justified, that, that the verdict that you will hear on the day of judgment is brought right to the here and now. Um, uh, that, do you realize that we are not guilty because of the gospel. That, that, that in the gospel, we are actually law keepers. In the gospel, we are covenant keepers. In the gospel, we are, we are whiter than snow. Why? Because Jesus has paid for, for the penalty of sin. And the verdict now is the same verdict that you will hear on the day of judgment. That's the best news. John says that we are now as he is. And what is Jesus? He's perfect. He's spotless. He's righteous. He's pure. How, that baffles me. How can that be? How, how can we be regarded legally in God's eyes as Jesus is? Perfect, spotless, righteous, pure. How can we be regarded as he is? Because of the gospel. Be, because uh, that, that's what the love of God and the gospel does for us. Look at verse 17. It gives us confidence, that we can have confidence. And that, I found this really interesting. That, that is a Greek word that comes from the political world. It, it means something of free speech. You can now speak freely. Um, the, the gospel gives us confidence. It gives us free speech. We can speak freely. We can, we, we're no longer fearful, John goes on to say. He says there's, there's no fear in this love. He says this love casts out fear. And I don't think I properly understand what that means. It's that like coffee cup, love casts out all fear. Don't be afraid. Um, like we have no fear of God anymore. We have no fear uh, of judgment. We're, we're not afraid on the day of judgment. Um, do you believe in the day of judgment? This is when people start to get squirmish. It's Christmas. What are you talking about judgment for? Uh, do you believe that there will be a day of, a, of account, of reckoning? Do you believe that there will be a heaven and a hell? Do you believe that there will be a separation between the just and the unjust? Between believers and unbelievers? What does the gospel do? It, it puts us in a condition that we may have confidence that the verdict that the gospel gives, not guilty, and your sin is canceled, you are a child of God, is the same verdict that you will hear on the day of judgment. And it brings that final verdict right into the here and now so that it gives us confidence and it casts out fear. I don't have to be afraid of God. He's, he's my father. I'm a child of God. I'm a co-heir with Christ. Confidence, no fear. I can now look forward to that future meeting with God without fear or punishment. Isn't that so good? 
Um, I'd, be a bad, I'd be a bad teacher today if I skipped over that and I didn't say this. Um, this verse reminds us that every person, Christian or not, will one day stand before the Lord and give an account for their life. Um, and I want to say this as gently uh, and lovingly, but as seriously as possible, that um, a person who is not a Christian has every reason to be fearful of that day, has every reason to be fearful of future judgment. You have every reason to be afraid of God, every reason to be afraid of this God of love. Because apart from Christ, apart from the gospel, apart from faith and union with Christ, there's only fearful anticipation of judgment. Advent becomes a terrifying thing. But do you see what John is saying? He's saying this love of God, this agape gospel love of God, it casts out that fear. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to, 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 to fear that judgment. Christians have no fear. They have, they have no f- uh, f- uh, fear of future judgment. Why? Because our judgment has already passed. It, it's, it's actually occurred already on the cross. We may have assurance. We may have free speech. We may have confidence uh, about our union with Christ because Paul says in Galatians, uh, the spirit witnesses with my spirit that I am a child of God. And if a child, then an heir, a joint heir with Christ. So John speaks of that love trinitarianly. You want to understand what that love is? Look to God. And then he speaks of that love experientially. Have you experienced that kind of love before? And finally, he speaks of this love of God motivationally. Look at verse 19. says, we love, why? Because he first loved us. Um, understanding this agape love of God, this is a, a big part of it. Understand the order that he uses. It's very important. John's saying uh, something that's at the very heart of the gospel. Um, we don't love one another in order to make God love us. Uh, we, we don't love one another in order to gain approval, in order to gain his love. John says it's actually the opposite. It's because he loved us. It's because of what he's done through the gospel, because of what Jesus has accomplished on, our, on the cross on our behalf. It's because he sends the Spirit to, to dwell in our, in our hearts. It's because of those things that we love one another. And getting that order is, is incredibly important. Because you've been so greatly loved, love one another. Because of the love first shown to you from, through the gospel, this agape love shown to you, love one another. Extend that to others. We love because he first loved us. Has that sunk in for you yet? Um, Spurgeon captures something of, of what it's like for God's amazing love to, to sink in for us as believers. I'm gonna read you this. He says, what is it that we have been talking about it is God's love for us. Get that thought in your, in, your, in your head for a minute. God loves me. Not merely bears with me or thinks of me or feeds me, but loves me. Oh, it's a, a very sweet thing to, feel the, to have the love of a dear wife or a kind husband. There's much sweetness in the love of a fond child or a tender mother. But to think that God loves me is infinitely better. Who is it that loves you? 
God, the maker of heaven and earth, the Almighty, all in all. Does he love me, even, even he? If all men and all angels and all living creatures that are before the throne loved me, it were nothing compared to this. The infinite loves me. Who is it that he loves? Me. The text says us. We love because he first loved us. But this is the personal point. He loves me, an insignificant nobody, full of sin, who deserved to be in hell, who loves him so little in return. God loves me. And listen, your love for Jesus did not originate with you. And Jesus' love for you did not originate in you. Luther says, God does not love us because of our works. God loves us because of his love. God loves you. That's the best thing you'll ever hear. I was talking to Andrew the other day. We're kind of like blown away that, hey, what's your job? I get to tell people that God loves them. Don't know why, but he does. Do you love him? And if you do, the only reason you have the capacity to love is because you have been the recipient of God's love and have been born again. And because of that love he has shown you, that love that casts out fear, love one another. He said, this is the way we uphold the truth. And John actually goes on to say that, that your love for others is actually a result. It's actually proof that, that your love for God is real. They go hand in hand, he says. Uh, John says, you, you can't say that you love God and turn around and, and not love your brother. Uh, your, your love for others is, is proof that you love God. It, it's the result of you beginning to understand uh, the scope of the gospel when you grasp what he has actually done for you. Uh, this love of God who, who sent his only son into the world to come and to die on our behalf so that we can be near him, so that we can be his family, his children of the Father, so that we can have, have fear, have, have, uh, have no fear on the day of judgment. When you begin to understand this, there's no other result than to extend that love to those around you. We love because he first loved us. John looks at love. He, when he talks about love, he, he takes you directly at God, Father, Son, Spirit. He shows us what it's like to actually experience that love. And then he shows us what, how that love actually is motivation for us to love others. Let's stand. We're going we're gonna to end here. Uh, Father, and we thank you that, that you have given us your word uh, to, to show us what love is. Um, the world has so much to say about love. Um, but, it, but it's all quite shallow compared to uh, the way that you love us. Um, help us to see, help us to understand better um, w- what your love for us is. Help us to, to have a, a deeper grasp of what the gospel actually is, this gospel love that you sent your son, your only son, to come into the world and you would lose him for our behalf, that he would be crucified, that he would be uh, 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 the substitute for our sins, God all to gain us as your children because you love us. Um, Help us to respond to that, Lord. Help us to respond uh, in worship uh, that you are uh, glorious, Lord. Uh, Increase our joy in this as well. Pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.